Welcome to Press Play and Surrender. I'm your host, Owen McQuinn, and I'm an Irish filmmaker and actor. This is my chance to speak to artists of all kinds, as well as industry players, from up-and-comers to established talent. My guest today is Stephen Armour. Stephen is a film trailer producer based in London. He has been involved in advertising campaigns for some of the most interesting art house titles of recent years. During our chat, we talked about his initial interest in cinema, the process behind marketing a movie, and his thoughts on the film festival experience. We also geeked out about our mutual favourite actress, Nicole Kidman. So here's my chat with Stephen Armour. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well, thank you, Owen. How are you? Good. This is my first time recording one of these in the evening, actually. It has a different vibe to it. Uh, Hopefully more relaxed vibe. I think so. I'm always a bit more relaxed in the evening. And you'll see behind me, maybe it's not the best background, but uh, the outside will just start to fade to darkness gradually as we talk, I imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, we've known each other for quite a few years, though, haven't we? Online, right? Like, how long would you say it's been, if you had to guess? We have. You should clarify how online, though, because that could give the wrong impression. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I think it's been, I mean, like, I think it might even be pre-2010, but it was back when um, IMDb had the, was it called, like, Oscar buzz, or before that, was it called, like, Movie Awards, or something like that, whatever, when IMDb had their forums, and there was the, the, yeah, just a group of people who still uh somewhat keep in touch through like facebook and stuff now uh us us being two of them um but yeah that's that's definitely where we sort of somewhat connected i think yeah. primarily over a mutual love of uh nicole kidman exactly i don't think i know anyone else who loves nicole as much as you do uh, yeah except for maybe Quite. me but you've met her and i haven't so that's uh you've got one up on me there I have. It's always a moment I'll cherish. No, I mean, that was, yeah, that was pure. I feel like that was just pure fluke, pure luck. But um, they say you never meet your heroes. I'm not saying she's like a hero, but she was very nice, which was a yeah, really... Yeah, tell me about the moment. Like, where was it and when was it? So that was, uh, I think that was 2013 when she was doing Photograph 51 in the West End, uh, long-awaited reappearance in the West End. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it was just afterwards, stage door, um luckily I was kind of quite close. And I wouldn't really usually do stage door, to be honest with you, but because it's like with her, it feels like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And um yeah, no, she came out and it's it's interesting because I always feel that secondhand sort of awkwardness because not that I'm judging anyone else, but so many people are just kind of like shouting and not really interacting at all. They're just kind of like forcing themselves into like this her space and like trying to get a picture and all this sort of stuff. But no, I remember it. Um, I mean, it's very, very sad that I remember it this vividly, but I think I said something to her along the lines of like how great her performance was and that I've been a, you know, a, a big admirer of her film work for such a long time. So it's like a real privilege to get to see her on stage. And she was genuinely very nice, took a moment to actually like engage with me. She was like, oh, thank you so much. I was like, would you mind if I got a picture with you? Is that okay? And she was like, oh, absolutely. That's totally fine. And one thing I noticed, this is very sad and I'm not like trying to say too much for myself but I noticed compared with everyone else she got a picture with with me she leaned in and she put her hand on my arm as I got the picture and she didn't do that with anybody else so (laughs) yeah she could sense you were a real one I think 
Maybe, maybe. Uh, I think so. A genuine, <laughs> yeah, genuine fan. Okay, so uh, maybe if you don't mind talking a little bit about your background growing up, where you grew up, and your love yeah. of film, how it began. Certainly. Um, so I grew up in Northern Ireland, or the island of Ireland, whatever your preference is, um, in a very small town that's like 30 minutes north of Belfast. So it's kind of like somewhat rural um but yeah just that that was that was um kind of growing up there it's not really much of a i guess it's not somewhere that necessarily nurtures like creative uh sort of passions or creative sort of hobbies and things like that if i'm completely honest at least not where, where i'm from so i think it was more like by fluke again i sort of fell into it because my, my parents uh, who are great, but from a very young age, they were very liberal with kind of what they would allow me to watch. And I think that was really key that they didn't um, try and sort of dictate to me or, or uh, restrict me in terms of what things I could watch. So I think it was like coming across like real films at say 12, 13, like I think I remember seeing like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest at that age, like Amadeus at that age. Like those were the films where it kind of like, I think it's, I've spoken to other people about this where it's like kind of being lucky enough to stumble upon films like that at a certain young age sort of helps formulate your relationship with film moving forward because you're not just seeing it as pure entertainment you're seeing that there's so much more possibility to it and how obviously at that sort of age whatever it was but those films just really affected me and stuck with me and ignited some sort of general passion i mean yeah very probably a bit of a strange child because again i remember around that age me 14 15 becoming obsessed with sigourney weaver and just kind of blind buying dvds of all of sigourney weaver's films and kind of even terrible ones which i found out after watching some of them um but yeah that that was kind of it my parents were very like supportive and nurturing of that and they were like okay yeah you want to get all these sigourney weaver films michelle pfeiffer films go for it you know yeah um and that's yeah i think that that's kind of where in a sort of organic way i guess it stemmed from i mean my mom in particular she she always she has a really she has really great taste and stuff in film and stuff like that as well so i think that kind of helped that maybe i watched some stuff with her or you know but it wasn't very much a, it wasn't a case of her trying to you know foist what she liked on me it's just she'd maybe be watching something i'd sit down and join her or whatever um so that was it as a kid yeah and then i um went on to initially i went to uni to do law and realized very quickly that that was not for me at all uh, and went into it for the wrong reasons because again where I was from at school you were kind of very much sort of more than gently pushed into a sort of stable career job like I don't know law dentistry medicine engineering teaching yeah um, but I realized very quickly that wasn't for me took a year out to figure out what I wanted to do and just uh, decided to go to Queen's University in Belfast did um, a joint sort of degree in film studies and English literature, because I'd always loved English literature at school and seemed to do pretty well in that. Um, and from there, yeah, I was I was lucky enough to, um, I, I kind of scooped out what sort of post-grad options there were, because I wasn't quite sure what I could do with that degree or what I wanted to do. So naturally, find maybe a post-grad to put off having to be, uh, you know, a, a working um, person for longer, uh, if I could. And uh, yeah, there was, there was a really niche um, post-grad uh, in the University of Edinburgh called Film Exhibition and Curation, which was an incredible experience, like getting to um, do that course with, there was like 20 of us and it was made up of people from like all over the world. I think there was maybe about three people from the UK, one from Ireland and everyone else was from like 
Taiwan, Italy, France, like a really incredible eclectic uh, mix of, of different people and different cultures and backgrounds and stuff. And um, from there, it's just, is this the sort of thing also that's, that's interesting? Absolutely. No, other people, no, other <laughs> people have been mentioning their pathway in education as well. Like, yeah, it is, you know, when you come from somewhere that might be quite rural, maybe don't, doesn't have the same cultural attractions or art house cinemas. I mean, it's yeah. hard to maybe have that belief or that foresight that this is somewhere or something you want to work toward. Uh, so I really admire the fact that you were able to do that. Um, and uh, also, like, it's it is such a niche uh, subject for an MA, right? It was an MA in film curation. It, it was. It, well, actually, weirdly, it was an MSc. So it was like a Master mm. of Sciences, uh, which I don't know why. I'm still not quite sure why it fell under that. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it was a relatively new course as well. So I wouldn't say it was a bit of a risk in that sense. But, you know, the people, the couple of, I think, literally only two years before uh, group, year groups that had done it, there was a lot of great sort of feedback and, and stuff out there about it. And um, the, the two professors, uh, both of them were like incredible and and just really uh you know eye-opening and kind of introduced all of us to to, to such a an even more kind of expanded world of world cinema stuff like that as well um but yeah that that, that was great um also i hope that any of this boring stuff if i go off on tangents you just can like cut around or whatever steer you back but so it, far uh, no need yeah. to do that some editing um but yeah and then from there when i was actually in edinburgh i visited london quite a bit and uh would come down mainly to go to the theater i think that was one of the times i came down to see nicole kidman in photograph 51 um i think it was around that time maybe um and yeah i came to london to go to the theater a bit and had some friends here and they introduced me to other friends and i kind of got bitten by the bug of like oh i really want to live in london and all my friends here were like, just no, like living in London and visiting London is a very different experience. I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love it though. And uh, yeah, so I kind of took the leap after that and um, was really very much wanting to move here. And things kind of fell into place again, very luckily, where um, a friend of mine was leaving a company uh, and they were like, look, uh, I'm leaving here. It wasn't for their position, but they were like, I know this, they're recruiting for an entry level junior role. Do you want me to? pass forward your CV because they always appreciate, you know, sort of a, a, a trusted recommendation, whatever. I was like, that would be great. Um, and that kind of, that that worked out well. I got, got interviewed and, and got it. And uh, that was kind of it. Like that was my, again, um, really sort of fortunate uh, foot in the door into the sort of industry as, in a sort of way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, uh, is this the company that you're still with or was that a couple of jobs ago or? That was a couple of jobs ago. So I initially started in um, doing, it's like digital campaigns and very much like social media management stuff for uh, like film campaigns and some studios stuff. So like some studios channels uh, and then also the individual film campaigns and things like that. And that was, that was quite cool. I enjoyed that enough, but I was there for like three and a half years and then an opportunity arose because a client um, at a uh, one of the studios, they had left that studio and joined a trailer house. Um, and they I had a great working relationship with them and the trailer house had a position open up and they, again, recommended me. And so that's the thing that I can realize very quickly as well in that sort of industry. I hate to say it's about who you know. It's not about who you know. I guess it's about sort of if you get on well, people make those connections. It can definitely help because I think people are... Um, naturally maybe going to gravitate towards a sort of 
tried and tested option of maybe someone they know or someone they kind of can that they, they have faith in whatever but yeah he that was kind of a, a bit of a chance he took on me actually to recommend me and um got an interview there went well and uh initially for the first six months at the new job as, at this trailer house in a role as a junior producer i thought god i've made such a mistake because it was so different to what i've been doing before and uh i was in the office for two months then covid hit was working from home for such an extended period i thought oh god i'm i'm last one in i'm going to be first one out they're going to start doing the redundancies uh and I, I did feel a bit out of my depth to be honest but there was a great team there and um it was a bit of a sink or swim and i, I somehow ended up um coming out swimming but uh yeah that 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 was yeah i was there for basically two and a half years and now at the other trailer house i'm at currently um because they approached me and and uh, some discussions and I thought it was time for for a move. It would be great to try somewhere else. Um, I've been there for just shy of a year now. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of it up that's to date in terms of... of interesting though, I never really considered that there were such things as trailer houses. Like I presumed yeah. that, you know, the studio or the production company or the distributor, they all just make the trailers themselves. But no, they hire out studio houses to specifically produce these trailers yeah. to to advertise the, the movie in the cinema. It, it, it can be quite different in that there's definitely some studios who do stuff in-house, um, but uh, the, the vast majority of them will uh, seek out a, a, you know, a, a trailer house uh, like the one I work at, which kind of comprises the like, production team of all the sort of producers, which I'm in, then there's the all the editors, incredibly talented people, because editing you know trailer and, and editing that sort of material is so different to editing you know a short film or a feature, um, and then also the graphic design team, the designers who you know do all the stuff that sometimes people maybe do take for granted in a trailer, like all the, the you know the copy cards you'll see with like reviews coming up or the title treatment at the end, and that kind of the genesis of that typically is from is from them, and they do really incredible cool work. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one. It's one that you know it wasn't until the first company I went to that I realized oh there's this thing is actually companies that just do that make trailers and sort of that thought it was really cool. Um, and I'm glad I was able to kind of get into it myself. And it's not just trailers; it'll be like um, TV spots. It'll also be which is a really interesting aspect of it. Things like promos and sizzles. So you know, a sizzle will be say, you know, uh, filmmakers got their proof of concept uh, of, of what they want to make. Uh, nothing's been filmed yet. They maybe have a script, but otherwise nothing's been filmed. They'll kind of brief you in and you will put together a sizzle reel, which typically could comprise of, you know, say it was a sci-fi and like a sort of cerebral, highbrow, smart art, art house sci-fi. You would go away and be like, right, there's like a rival, high life, all these sorts of films. You would pull all the material as in, you know, all those films and you would kind of create from scratch a reel that sort of acts as a sort of mood board almost, but with a bit of a sort of story to it for this sizzle reel. And you might, if you're lucky enough, have interviews with the filmmaker or the talent that are attached to the film. You'll conduct interviews with them and that will kind of be edited together as, as a as one piece as the sizzle reel is sort of talent talking about the project and maybe what character they play or what, what the style is going to be or stuff like that. Um, so uh, yeah, there's there's more to it than just the the trailers. There's a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, which helps get the films sold ultimately to distributors yeah. and gets them greenlit and things like that. That's really interesting because I was just speaking to someone in film acquisitions for the last episode of the podcast, and he talked right. about pre sales 
for films yep. that have not been shot yet. And to me, like acquisition company is just for after the film's been made and it's at a festival, let's buy it or let's sell it to a distributor. Or for me, like a trailer house would only be for films that are completed. But you're there at the yeah. beginning of the process with filmmakers uh, yeah. trying to help them communicate their concept to financiers, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It can be. That can be the case. Um, or a film will be shot, but it's very early days. It's maybe a very rough assembly and we'll be given that rough assembly and cut a promo. So that's basically like a long form trailer. You will maybe create a promo that could be anywhere, depending on what the client wants from three minutes long, five minutes long, seven minutes long, hopefully not, because that's a bit more of a, <laughs> a beast to undertake. Um, but that'll basically be like a long form trailer that will spoil the film because it's for buyers. It's to give them an entire taste of what this film's about and, you know, um, tr try try and sell it ultimately. And, th you know, that's the sort of thing we're actually very busy at the moment because we're doing a lot of that sort of work for Cannes coming up because the Cannes market runs alongside the festival. And that's where you'll see in like deadline all these deals being made, all these projects being announced or sold to certain distributors and, um, it is interesting as well because there's so many projects we work on that um, has the talent attached and and they maybe do the interviews for it or even sometimes they've been shot already, but it's not been announced at all anywhere in the trades. It's not on IMDb or anything. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's usually very, um, it can be very early stages that you're, you're involved as a trailer house. Yeah. Now, am I right in thinking that you produced the trailer for The Souvenir Part 2? Is that right? The UK one, yes. Yeah, yeah that was working at Picture House at the yeah. previous company. Yeah. I love that film. In fact, I thought it was even better than the first one. Um, mm. But can you talk to me a little bit, like, from start to finish, what does that look like? Do you work with the director in their vision for the trailer or the producers, or how does it work? Yeah, it can be, it can be quite different depending on the sort of, um, I guess, creative agreement that a, that a distributor... Um, or a production company has has agreed the creative agreement or or license they've given to a filmmaker. Sometimes filmmakers will be very hands off. Other times there'll be an agreement that the filmmaker will have quite a lot of input. It's you know it's it's it can be you know a filmmaker is obviously so close to their film it's their baby. Um, but ultimately, then a trailer and a promo sizzle and things like that they are to technically to sell the film. Obviously you don't want to misrepresent a film. A filmmaker wants their film to be portrayed in, in, in the way that they have conceived it. But um, yeah, sometimes it might be more kind of the, the, the client, the studio's sort of uh, um, priority is to ultimately reach the target demographics if it's a trailer or internally if it's a, a promo or sales, a sizzle reel to sell the film. Um, so sometimes, yes, sometimes filmmakers can be heavily involved, other times not as much. Sometimes they just kind of want a courtesy sort of eye on it when it's quite far down the line and um, just to ensure they're they're kind of happy with everything, can sign off on it. But um, yeah, it really just depends. No, I think that's the thing I love. No project's ever the same. I think I, I feel very, uh, I feel very kind of like, like I've really found my feet in this sort of job because I struggle with sort of, jobs where it does feel repetitive or you feel like you're doing the same thing quite frequently and whilst there's a lot of processes that are the same and sort of the trajectory of jobs are the same no job is ever the same in terms of 
you know, it's different genres, different filmmakers, different clients, different people. Every, every job kind of throws up its own challenges and opportunities and, and new things that you learn. Uh, and that's with me having been in this site, part of the industry for like, um, like what, three and a half years now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, everyone kind of complains about movie trailers that give too much away or you feel yeah. like you've seen the whole film uh, when you watch it. Uh, how do you strike a balance between telling the story, teasing, and, and not being too cryptic? So, hopefully it's not perceived as speaking out of turn, but uh, anytime there's a trailer that gives too much away or spoils things, I would be willing to bet that is not the intention or decision of the trailer house. That will have been a uh, a requirement or a stipulation of certain things to be included or um sometimes that's just the way it goes you, you kind of different clients give you more free creative reign from the get-go or sometimes they have a very fixed um idea of what they want um, and that can also change down the line as well especially because there'll be lots of different stakeholders typically as well um sort of weighing in and giving thoughts and everyone kind of needs to be aligned and happy but uh yeah when it comes to yeah spoilers things like that giving too much away or too long a trailer um, sometimes that is just, you kind of have to defer to what the client wants, I would say diplomatically. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And you seem to see a lot of films at LFF, the London Film Festival. Um, yes. Is that for work or would you be going anyway? Uh, how does that work? I'd be going anyway. I'd be going anyway. Yeah, I just... Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a great festival. I mean, there's, there's so many incredible titles at it every year and... Um, Weirdly, when I first moved to London, I think for the first couple of years, I didn't go to it. It's only really in the maybe past three, four years that I've made it a proper thing and habit. And I thankfully managed to make it work with work and their kind of understanding of, okay, you know, you can leave 30 minutes early today for this and you make it up and things like that anyway. But uh, yeah, that's that's the really frustrating thing. So often, not just London Film Festival, but so often these sort of like event film screenings, like certain great cinemas do this incredible screening with a Q&A by a director or an intro by a director, but they're always at like 6 p.m. And I'm like, who's finished work already before that and can get there in time? And it's just crazy. Yeah. I typically, our working day would typically finish at 6.30, usually would go on a bit longer than that, to be honest. But um, anyway, with with LFF, sorry, yeah, I, I, would, I would try and go um, every year now. I'd kind of try and see as much as I can, where I do a big spreadsheet make sure it's all kind of timed and choreographed that i can make it to you know what i want to see so yeah. right and um were there any like highlights from the last one was it october were there some films that you're looking forward to maybe getting a chance to see again in general release or that's a really good point i always feel like i not blank but maybe i do slightly blank when it comes to being asked what i've seen which is why i knew everything down i don't want to be really boring here and make you sit whilst I'm looking. Um, let me was see. Was Passages yeah. at that festival? Passages no. wasn't. I think it no. was. I think it was Sundance this year, and it uh, no. it comes out in the UK early September, which I'm really excited to see that one. That's one that I I think I'm not I'm not sure of this. I think Mubi. I think they do certainly the majority of their trailers in house because they have incredible editors and stuff like that. Um, it also makes me cry slightly because I would love the opportunity to work on some of their titles. Like they've the space now that movie has kind of entered in, in certainly worldwide distribution, but certainly in the UK is really impressive. Like I've seen 
in the past five years alone, it used to be, you know, Curzon was kind of more of a top dog when it came to these sort of art house films and world cinema and movie has kind of just swept in and is very much the top dog in that. Now I would say you look at all the sort of acquisitions of what they pick up in festivals like Sundance and Cannes and it's incredible stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm just looking, I saw there was a really incredible film um, called The Origin, uh, which I don't think has a UK release set yet, but it's basically a prehistoric sort of horror thriller and it's just really primal and sort of gnarly and genuinely quite scary and just so incredibly made uh, very like visceral sort of film um, but it was a real highlight as one that I kind of read just brief synopsis was like oh it seems like a tight film it's like 80 minutes that, that could be quite good premise sounded interesting and yeah wasn't disappointed um, so that would be a, a highlight I guess yeah and do you have any thoughts on the Cannes lineup this year I personally am really looking forward to May December and hearing the reviews for that or even Zone of Interest. Um, any others? Yeah. Well, I know you're a big Jonathan Glazer fan as well. Oh, uh, you know that. If you're on my timeline on Twitter, you'll know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited for Zone of Interest. I mean, he, you know, gives everyone a gem every like 10 years, essentially, or at least since birth. Um, I wish he'd be a bit more prolific. Yeah. <laughs> I know he, he must be very meticulous. I think it was the same on yeah. under the skin has been in the zone of interest where he shoots it and then takes about two years in post. I mean, fair play to them, the amount of sort of um, freedom that what production companies and whatever give him yeah. to do that. That's because he makes he must still shoot commercials or uh, he maybe has <laughs> development deals in other with other projects. It, it just doesn't make sense. Otherwise, I don't know how these like Todd Field as well, like having that sixteen year gap between Little yeah. Children and Tar. Um, it's kind of crazy. So can you tell me, what is it about the festival experience that you love? Uh, is it the buzz of meeting other, of meeting uh, other audience members or hearing, overhearing conversations or the Q&As with the filmmakers? I would say, first and foremost, it's about discovery. I think I try, as much as I will go to see certain films because they've been on my radar or there's certain notable titles or they have a certain actor in it I like or director or whatever. I also try and make a point of, you know, reading just a little synopsis about certain things and kind of going on instinct. If I like the look at that or that might be good, might might not be good, but it hopefully will be good. And I, I love the, I love discovery. I think with the being in the industry, you're, you always know so far ahead about things and you read up on it and you kind of keep up to date. So sadly, that's what I do miss about when I was younger, where everything felt like such a discovery so even now, sometimes when I just go to the cinema, whether it's a festival or not, to a film I know very little about and I end up coming out blown away by the film or really loving it, that's an incredible experience because it does just feel like such a sort of discovery and um, you know really enjoyable for that to happen. Uh, but I would say for festivals, it's the same. First and foremost, that's it. I mean, it's really cool as well to see like the talent there, the filmmakers primarily like talking about their film and you know, Q&As and things like that. Um, the audience member experience, yeah, I think, I don't know whether it's just London, but I, I, I don't know. Is there that much of a sense of community at the London Film Festival? I am not sure. Maybe it's because I see a lot of stuff solo. Right. Maybe I don't make an effort to chat yeah. people up. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was also wondering, like, since you're producing movie trailers and so forth, uh, do you ever have ambitions to produce movies themselves or to write or direct? Yeah, I mean that that I mean that's always been the dream since like a young age of 
I mean, whether I think it started as like script writing and I would have done a bit of that, nothing good at all, nothing that I ever would have followed through with or, or sort of seen through to the end of writing. But I loved the, even just the formality of like how to structure a script and how to, how to all the technicality parts of writing a script. Like I, I find that really interesting and really enjoyable. Um, and directing something that, yeah, it's that sort of little thing where I'm like, could I ever do it? I don't know. I mean, I guess you don't know until you try, but I feel like I would need to, you know, as as so many people I know have done, um, actually do some proper formal training or, or course or something to actually wrap my head around it, which has made me think now, not on a lazy side, but I'm like, I wonder if I went into a producing side of things with like doing a course or whatever, or a degree, I'm like, would I have a bit of a advantage or head start because of my current like work experience i don't know it's obviously a very different beast producing a short film a feature from a trailer but there's certainly i imagine a number of transferable sort of relevant skills there and, and relevant sort of overlap of, of what you need to do and how you need to keep the ship afloat above all else um and all the not so much fun stuff like budgets and everything like that but uh, maybe one day i don't know i think um i would have to park or put on pause the, the career and actually pursue that a bit more, which I don't know if I would ever do, sadly. It just depends. Well, I think you definitely have an advantage. And don't all those famous filmmakers say, you don't need film school, just watch movies. And you've certainly got that covered. So I think you could do it. <laughs> Maybe one day. Who knows? Who knows? You can, um, yeah, just, just keep nudging every so often. You heard it here first. <laughs> Stephen R. Moore is going to be a movie director. <laughs> maybe just um, a, maybe the producer producer yeah. before we go i want to do something fun i want to have a quick fire round of nicole kidman movies write them out of brilliant 10, and love that yeah talk a little bit a few words about each performance okay starting with to die for iconic so sadly i wouldn't say underappreciated but by today's standards underappreciated underseen absolutely iconic incredible performance yeah Yes. 10 out of 10. Um, yeah. 10 out of 10 <laughs> for movie and performance. Eyes yeah. Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Love the film. Don't maybe rate it in the realm of masterpiece that a lot of people do. But her performance, yeah, is, is the secret weapon of the film in two sort of extended scenes. Her main scenes is just an absolutely astonishing uh, performance and just so fascinating as well because it's with Tom Cruise and the yeah. layers to what's going on in that film and their marriage is just wild. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty mesmerizing. It's so intense what she does. Um, okay, and then like her magnum opus, basically, Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I mean, love Moulin Rouge. It's tons of fun, endlessly rewatchable. She's just so glamorous, so beautiful. And yeah, it's an, it, it is genuinely iconic in a big pop culture way. That's probably what she's still maybe most known for. Yeah. And then the same year, The Others. I think that's actually before I realized I had an obsession with her. That was the first film I ever saw her in. Actually, no, that was Batman Forever. But then I remember seeing the others with my friends when we were like 10 and watching it at night when parents went to bed, we had a sleepover and being terrified by it. And rewatching it now, she's she's tremendous in it. Like that's the one that I wouldn't have been annoyed if she got an Oscar nomination for that over Moulin Rouge, to be honest. But yeah. I seem to remember the TV spots for it as well. Um just like her looking in the mirror and all those like sheet covered uh, ornaments or whatever. It was scary. Yeah. Uh, okay. The hours. I mean, the hours, I haven't seen that in such a long time, but uh, yeah, great. She's got an Oscar. Um, I, yeah, I think she's, she's given 
you know, it's, it's, it's a great performance, but she's definitely given far more sort of enduring, complex, uh, raw, daring Risky. sort of performances. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish yeah. she did it without the nose. I, I kind of, I wish yeah. she did so people didn't talk about it so much. Okay. Yeah. Cold yeah. Mountain. Cold Mountain, yeah, it's a it's a good film. I it's one that I don't know if I would always rush to to rewatch because it, it's what I recall it's quite long and um it's it's again one that she is very good in. She's kind of pretty much good in everything and very reliable, but it's not a standout in her filmography necessarily. Dogville, Dogville, yeah, that's again. I think last time I saw that was a couple of years ago. I remember I tried to get my mum to watch that with me like five years ago for some deranged reason. I think she made it about. <laughs> are in bless her and then she was like what is this which is oh, fair yeah, enough but yeah that, that's probably her that's maybe her boldest performance nicole kimmon's boldest are performance. you sure about that i still think dogville's more bold but birth is it, it and to die for i was flip-flop on what is her her magnum opus performance but birth is just jaw-dropping i mean the film as well i'm glad that jonathan glazer did like under the skin and has had this sort of um re-evaluation by critics because they've also realized that birth is just such a accomplished extraordinary mesmerizing sort of eerie enveloping film and she's yeah. obviously so key in that yeah and margot the wedding love that film because it is it's so uh it's just so darkly funny and obtuse and that's also it's a really unusual one for her it feels again like one where I think she has a bit of a perverse side to her in a good way. And it's in performances like that that it really comes out. There's definitely this sort of perverse humor and impulses to her maybe as a person. And it's these roles that she kind of gets to act out in in some ways. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just watched it with my parents, funnily enough, like two weeks ago. And <laughs> I forgot how uncomfortable this film is to watch. Like, it really yeah, is. Yeah, there's plenty of uncomfortable moments. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uncomfortable moments, The Paperboy. So I, I saw this at the Toronto Film Festival in 2012, which I was devastated that she wasn't at, but Zach Efron okay. was at the premiere. Um, and Lee Daniels and Zach Efron did a Q&A. And yeah, she is undoubtedly the highlight of the film. It's a go-for-broke, sort of gaudy, like on-the-nose sort of performance. But like, it works, it works. She she knows what the film's tone is. She goes for it. And uh, love that she managed to get a little bit of the awards traction that year. Um, yeah. 100% agree. Okay, finally, Killing of a Sacred Deer. So actually we worked on the, I, I worked on the uh, social campaign on that film for the, oh, wow. the, uh, in the, in the UK. So I was lucky to go to the UK premiere. That's the second time I've met her, but not actually meeting her, meeting her. Because I was on the red carpet, pretty close to her in an awkward way, taking like videos for social media. But that was just, that was That's really wild. Cool. Um, it was, it was, it was really that. <laughs> yeah it was it was fun but also it's it's not a, it's, it's it's fun but also not a fun environment to be in you're there to do a job and it's incredibly yeah. red carpets are incredibly stressful and everyone <sighs> is stressed everyone doing their job there's i don't know how yeah. she handles it with such grace like she knows how to work a red carpet i think we all and know she, that, when she was but... there credit to her as well she was giving time to people she was engaging people the number of people that also want to touch her and she kind of like you know, she, yeah. you know, they'll touch on whatever, and I'm like, I, I don't get that because I think that's crossing a bit yeah. of a line, to be honest. And screaming, just the that. screaming is crazy. Yeah, but anyway, she's she's phenomenal in that film. I mean, I say she's phenomenal in everything, but um, yeah. that that's so evocative in some ways of her eyes wide shut performance at times. It also she's a lot more sort of strip 
back and it's it's not a glamorous sort of power and she her yeah. character obviously starts to really take a more you know significant role in the second uh, half of it but yeah. uh yeah she can just she can just mold to any of these weird auteur director's styles and just uh, gives herself to it I love how she, at this stage in her career, just kind of gives a chance to those auteur-type filmmakers like Yorgos Lanthimos or Robert Eggers, still always yeah. pushing to try risky material. I, But I'm such a bad fan, I still haven't seen The Northman. <laughs> oh, you have to. I actually took yeah. my... When I was back home in Northern Ireland, uh, when it came out back in... When was that? Well, I can't even remember at what point. 20, earlier 20, this year. Yeah. But, but uh, whenever it came out, I um yeah I, I went I was back in Northern Ireland at the time and brought my parents with me to see it in like an art house cinema in Belfast. And again, it felt very special because the whole film, or at least the majority of it, was filmed in Belfast too. Not, not most of it, not very far from the town I grew up in. So I was kind of like excited by the fact that at one point she was up filming in the hills, in the mountains, like near where I live in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And I've found again because I've probably do too much research i find at least two occasions one was a podcast one was an interview where she t- she speaks so fondly of belfast and says she yeah. loves it and uh, I-, I was like i was really touched by that I, th- I thought that was really lovely um but you need to watch it she's she's a scene stealer in okay. that yeah that's what i'm gonna do tonight i'm gonna watch the northman and it's a great okay. film it's robert eggers it's a great film she she just again has this sort of uh just treat of a part that doesn't really reveal its hand to quite far into the film so yeah that's amazing listen thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate it and it's lovely to talk to anytime you virtually you too. maybe one day we can yeah, no, get a drink or see a film inevitably sometime if you're in london or i'm back over in ireland and uh yes. we can make it that would be lovely uh, but no thank you very much for the invite Owen. it's lovely to, to just chat with you and geek out over Nicole Kidman and film stuff because I could talk about it all day whether people would want me to or not but thank you Stephen all right I'll take care thank you very much you too so that was my chat with Stephen Armour it was an absolute pleasure to get to know him better and to gain insight into his work and I look forward to seeing where his career in the film world may take him This has been Press Play and Surrender. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts.